Welcome to How to Live with the Rich, a limited series podcast about how the middle class can actually, practically, and biblically help the poor. I am your host, Beck Isaacson, and welcome to the show. Right. Well, hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so glad that you are here today for part three of our problem mini series. I hope you have enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I I guess enjoyed is probably not the right word, but I hope if nothing else that it has introduced to you some new concepts and some new ideas to think about, because obviously I think they are super important. And as a quick recap, this whole three-part series is all about how we can often hurt people when our intention is to actually help them. And during part one, we talked about the global orphanage industry and used it as a case study to demonstrate how we need to be really careful to examine how we help other people to make sure that we are actually assisting them. And then last week, we looked at the roots of the global aid and development industry and found, quite frankly, some rotten ones in the form of paternalism and colonialism. We learned, well, we concluded that we need one another and we need Jesus and that our wealth has not and should not entitle us to power and decision over other people's lives. People who are wonderful and amazing and designed in the image of God. And this week, we are going to wrap up this whole topic by talking about the problem with emergency principles. I have a feeling that this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than the others, which is probably a good thing because I know that last week was especially a lot. But who knows? Let's let's see what happens and let's begin. But first, as always, tiny happy things because we all need a microdose of happiness to start off our Tuesdays. And today is very much a love-hate situation. And it is all about Facebook Marketplace. Now, I don't know if you have ever used Facebook Marketplace, but it is the absolute worst place on earth. I actually don't have a very positive review score on Facebook Marketplace because I just cannot deal with people on there. They are the worst of all time. And by the worst, I mean this. They say they will be there at a certain time and they just don't show up. So I come home early from from an appointment or I stay at home and don't go out because I'm waiting for somebody and they just, they don't show up. Awesome. Or I've had people absolutely beg me, please, please, please hold this item. Um, And so I ignore the 30 other messages about it and then they just never follow through. Or you have people who are haggling over something that is $3 and or people that are just being plain rude in conversation. And I actually got married before the whole online dating thing ever really became a big deal. But I feel like this is kind of what it's like. That Facebook marketplace and online dating have to be pretty much the same thing. But this is this segment is called Tiny Happy Things and Not Large Complaining stuff. And so here is where the happy part comes in. It makes me 
unbelievably happy when somebody is polite, when they answer promptly, when they pay in advance, and when they arrive when they say they will. Human decency at its absolute best and its most simple makes me happy. And so as a moral of today's story, if you are buying something on Facebook Marketplace, please, for the love of all things that are good within this world, please read the description in full, be polite, show up when you say you will, and if you can, pay ahead of time. And on that note, let's take a tiny break and come back to talk about emergency principles. All right, let's jump in with one of your favorite things, I can tell, uh, which is some definitions. And I mean, who does not love a good definition? Is it just me or did every single speech in primary school or like wedding speeches in movies in the 90s begin with the Oxford Dictionary defines whatever as blah, blah, blah. But today we are going to be going through some definitions and uh, talking about what is called emergency principles and what the problem with them is. And this is because many of the different issues with the global aid and development industry actually come from the long-term implementation of these emergency relief principles and therefore uh, a deep misunderstanding of what the actual purpose of aid is. In When Helping Hurts, which if you haven't picked it up by now, I'm going to be referencing a lot. It's a really great book. The authors, Corbett and Fickett, list three very different types of assistance as relief, rehabilitation, and development. So let's bust open these dictionaries and unpack what each one of these is. Relief is, quote, the urgent and temporary provision of emergency aid to reduce the suffering from a natural or man-made crisis. Uh, This includes, obviously, I'm sure you can think of examples, but the emergency provision of food or water or shelter or medical assistance after, say, an earthquake or tsunami or whatever. Then, after that, we have rehabilitation, which, quote, seeks to restore people and their communities to the positive elements of their pre-crisis conditions. This moves people from being simple recipients of aid to active participants in their own stories of development and success. And this is extremely important. And then, finally, we have development, which is, quote, a process of ongoing change that moves all the people involved, both the helper and the helped, closer to being in right relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. Which, if you remember and if you have been listening from the beginning, is actually our definition for human flourishing that we um, looked at way back in one of our earliest episodes. Development is therefore a process whereby all people fulfill their God-given mandate to glorify Him by participating in productive, wholesome work and providing for the needs of themselves, their family, and beyond. It is essentially the goal of global aid and assistance. And all of this sounds great and wonderful and logical, but the problem is that too often what we have done and what we do is we pour out emergency relief on on people or situations, families, communities, and then we never move on from that step. We get stuck in providing relief and we never ever move on to rehabilitation or development. We give often material things and then we keep on giving and we keep on giving and we keep on giving 
and the results are often not to be dramatic or anything, but the results are often catastrophic. And we uh, we've seen examples of that. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks in things like the orphanage industry and the Haitian rice market and even Tom's shoes. Because by giving this ongoing emergency relief, not only are we asserting ourselves as in every way superior as the ones to give the assistance, but we are also undermining the God-given abilities of those who are receiving the aid. We become active participants of instilling cycles of hopelessness and shame within people's lives. We undermine local business opportunities and market systems, and we create these cycles of generational dependence. In short, and when it comes down to it, when relief is extended beyond its necessity, we undermine local people's stewardship of their own lives and their own communities. And what this does is very little to provide positive or sustainable change for people. And so, to summarize... In order to effectively assist the global poor, we simply have to move on from emergency principles. And this is much more difficult, but also tremendously more effective when it comes to helping those in need. And so let's take it, take a step back and back it up and look at the larger story for a second, because a huge part of this problem has actually been our faulty definition of poverty in the first place. And we have we've kind of talked about this on and off throughout a number of different episodes, but essentially what it comes down to is that poverty is not just simply a lack of material possessions. It's a lot more complicated than that and it, it includes these very difficult and hard to measure facets of life including human dignity and human well-being. And, and why is that important? Well, the problem is that when we define poverty as a simple lack of material possessions, we fix it by filling the lack. Namely, we give things away. And the problem is when we do that in any situation that is not emergency relief, it undermines any opportunity for local businesses to market or make those exact products. And on top of this, it actually compiles feelings of shame and inferiority onto people and removes both the incentive and the capacity for struggling people to grasp their identity in Christ, to utilize their God-given gifts and talents, and to effectively steward their own lives. Because God has created us, all of us, with immense purpose, and we need to be a people who embrace that not only in ourselves, but also in all other people, because sometimes it, it is as if we have forgotten the very simple truth, which is this. Why would you work for something that is always going to be given to you for free? And why do we set up our modes of assistance to further disempower already struggling people? Because remember, I think we always need to go back to the fact that when we are talking about the poor, we are actually talking about the majority of people in the world. And these people, these real life human people have enormous untapped capacity. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be people who look for it and learn from it and build upon it. We need to be people who 
empower God's identity and destiny in other people, calling all others to be exactly who they were created to be. Because I think too, for too long what we have done is we have attempted to fix the poverty problem with material solutions. And not only has it been unsustainable over time, but it has actually been largely ineffective over time. And too often what we have done is we have measured success not on the long-term benefits of our assistance, but instead on actually how good it makes us feel which, you know, in many ways should actually be uh, irrelevant. And so quite frankly, what we have done for a long time is we've taken the easy way out. We have felt really good about ourselves without actually having to worry about if our assistance is effective or not. And thus, the global poor have just become simple objects of our pity and our patronage. They have allowed us to feel really good about themselves without actually benefiting them in any real or sustainable way. And so let's, uh, let's talk about what we actually do about this because the, what is the alternative solution? Um, there's no point just pooping all over the global aid and development industry and not actually providing a way forward. Well, I think as people who are living in the minority world, first and foremost, I think the beginning step is we have to move past our materialistic view of poverty and see it in a more relational framework. Because the poor themselves are actually more likely to see their poverty in relation to things like hopelessness and inferiority and a lack of meaningful choices rather than simply having holes in their shoes, which means that our response to poverty should be and needs to be very different than simply overloading the poor with material things that we no longer need or that we no longer want. And of course, I have said it a million times, but this means that we need to make an investment not only of our money, but our actual lives and our relationships, leading people to the Lord and leading ourselves to the Lord too, um, and leaning into what he has to say and what he wants to do. Because no matter how much we would like them to be, wealth and poverty just are not simple issues with simple solutions. We cannot just throw our money at the poor and consider it a job well done. And so instead, I think we need to start off by seeing people, and by people I mean all people, all people all over the world, as made in the image of God and therefore capable of being stewards over their own lives and their own choices. And only when we do this, I think, can we really begin to grasp what the parameters of international aid and development should actually look like, both on a local scale, where we live, where we're at, but also on a global scale as well. And as much as we don't like this reality, um, there is not a one-stop shop when it comes to ending extreme global poverty or simply helping out people in need. Because every single situation and every single person comes from a unique set of life circumstances and more than likely they require a unique and a tailored plan of assistance. And of course we don't like this. I don't like this. I like efficiency. I like mass production. I like getting bang for my buck. But often when it comes to poverty, it just, it's not the way that it works. Not when human beings are involved and not when the Lord is involved as well. 
However, now that I've gone and said all of that, there are still some best practices that we can and that we should adopt and implement when giving aid or participating in assistance. And these include, I have seven of them uh, that I want to share with you. So these are things that best practice principles that we should do our best to apply in all situations. All right, are you ready? Number one, there should be an initial assessment. And this may seem like the most obvious thing on earth, but you would be surprised how many times this is not even done. Basically, what we need to do is we need to ask the question and then answer the question, what kind of relief or support is actually needed in this situation? Very simple. The number two, the principle is never do for somebody what they could do for themselves. Number three, we should limit one-way giving to emergency relief situations and aim to meet all other needs through employment, lending, and investing. Number four, we need to ensure the active participation of the affected population. If we just did this, so many of the problems would uh, be eliminated. But essentially, we need to speak to people. We need to listen to them. We need to evaluate the interests and concerns, their interests and concerns above our own. Our assistance should be championed and carried by local people who are carrying their own vision. Your project or project or whatever program should be locally owned, if at all possible. And this is absolutely essential and critical when trying to avoid dependency issues. Number five, we need to target relief based on need and vulnerability. Number six, our assistance should be asset-based and not needs-based. And so instead of uh, focusing on what people don't have, we need to draw upon what they do have. And finally, the last one, number seven, we need to use trained and skilled individuals to actually provide assistance, as in probably not teenagers who don't speak the local language on a short-term mission trip. Ouch, just a little dig there, don't mind me. I I do promise that I am releasing a bonus episode all about short-term mission trips very soon. But let's bring this whole three-part problem-based mini-series full circle for a moment and jump back with me into this hot and sticky Sydney garage with Terry, my homeless acquaintance. For those of you who don't remember, um, I had left a package for him with a shirt and with this evangelical note in this very crude attempt to tell him about Jesus. I had also intentionally left it very anonymous. And here is the problem with what I did that day. My desire had been to assist him without the real life mess of entering into any kind of actual relationship with him. Essentially, I wanted to point him to Jesus without actually getting my hands on my life dirty in any way at all. I also assumed that I knew exactly what he needed, which probably was not a thrift store flannel. And the the whole entire exercise was really, at the end of the day, more about me feeling good than about him having the opportunity to step into any kind of real life change. I mean, let's be totally honest here. I kept myself anonymous for a reason. I wanted to help him 
without having any kind of relationship with him. And what I wanted to do is fix his problems with material possessions. I was seeing his poverty through a strictly material lens and my my gift <laughs> actually did nothing to truly or sustainably change his life in any way. And so through all of that, what I was communicating was that Jesus was fully available to help him, but uh, I, I was not. And that is my micro-level example of this whole idea that too often our efforts to help the poor actually hurt them. And this is especially true when we tackle poverty with a material viewpoint or when we invite the poor into our broken consumer culture. Because traditionally, what we get is all the benefits of feeling amazing about ourselves while simultaneously either creating dependency issues or intentionally distancing ourselves from poor people. We like to help so long as we can make the rules. And unfortunately, this kind of assistance actually doesn't do very much in producing the fruit that lasts, which is, of course, what Jesus actually calls us to. And so... We need to change the way that we help. We need to make sure that it actually and sustainably and long-term does what it is intended to do. And this requires us seeing brokenness and actually running to it instead of away from it. It requires us measuring poverty and success really differently. And it invites relationships into our lives. Messy, disruptive, complicated relationships. It also, in essence, requires us to be a people who act justly and love mercy and walk humbly and practically without God. And on that note, let's close out today with a Tuesday tip. And today's is going to be very introspective. What I suggest that you do is to think about and think through all the ways that you are currently offering assistance to people. It could be through your financial giving or your regular volunteering or maybe sporadic volunteer projects, whatever it is. I want you to think through what you do and then I want you to think through it through a grid of a number of questions. And these questions are, number one, do I know and can I measure the long-term impact of my assistance? Number two, Am I involved in any method of helping that ultimately hurts the poor? Number three, am I doing for anybody what they could do for themselves? Number four, am I using emergency relief principles in non-emergency situations? And number five, are the recipients of my assistance an active part of the process? And so I highly encourage you to take some time with Jesus over the next couple of weeks and and work through these questions, asking yourself the tough things. And if you don't know, do some digging and find out the answers. Because if you are not happy or you're not sure where you stand, it might be time to actually make some changes, either in the way you give or the way you serve in order to better align the way that you help people, uh, both short-term and long-term. And on that note, we are done for today and we are done for this three-part series. So please, please, please let me know if you have any thoughts or questions. As always, you can reach me over on Instagram at how to live with the rich, or you can email me at howtolivewiththerich at gmail.com. And as always, I would love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, share, all of the things because it really helps me out. And Lord knows, 
I need all the help I can get. So have a wonderful week and I will see you guys next Tuesday.